Hey everyone, just a quick little disclaimer before the start of this episode. My subject is a little racy. Now, nothing's too graphic and I don't go into a lot of intense details, but there is a heavy discussion of sex. So if you are somebody that listens with your little ones in the room, or if this type of conversation makes you uncomfortable, you may want to skip over my story this week. Thank you. Happy listening. Everyone, you are listening to Left of Skeptic, and this is the 69th yes! episode. Finally, my name is Brittany Lind, and I am Kayla Moria, and I love the number 69. We're a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. We're a paranormal podcast on the 69th episode. <laughs> so, Kayla, how jazzed are you right now? I'm stoked. I've been waiting for this one. Just I believe you started talking about the 69th episode when we were on like episode 10. Yeah, I was. I, I have been prepared. Prepared. Good. Good. Oh. Uh, as as for your general life, how are you doing? Oh, you know, it's pretty boring. Uh, yeah. Sean came down with a sickness. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He exited the dodgeball game by this point. Yeah. I remain immune so far, knock on everything ever. I have tested negative this entire time. No symptoms, no nothing. Uh, We separated the house up and I've just Mm -hmm. been like bringing trays of food down and like ditching them outside of the door and then dashing away. (laughs) But for those of listeners who know me, physical touch is very much my love language. This has been the longest period of time I think I have ever gone without like giving my husband a kiss and so today at work I was talking to my buddy Sam and I was just hey so we've reached the 582nd day without me like touching my husband she goes you were such a drop no it's not been 582 (laughs) days I was like well it feels like it it's been four Kayla (laughs) and and he's just been feeling like crud so I also feel bad just for yeah. him yeah but otherwise pretty boring and pretty Dodging standard balls, and i'm though. happy about it so i'll take Good. i'll take boring and happy if i'm not sick yeah totally it was it was unpleasant let me tell you how Ugh. have you been uh pretty good. good pretty good uh i went down to can can wonderland this weekend mm-hmm. and i wasn't 100 percent sure what what the situation was but what it ended up being is that they rented out all of Can Can Wonderland. There were about 250 people. All the games were free. All the drinks were free. And all the food was free. Man, that's the best way to spend time in an arcade. I know. Yeah. Steve and I beat a bunch of games that he's like, I would never have put in enough money to be able to beat this game. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah. Jurassic Park. Uh, the uh, one of the NASCAR driver things we played that a bunch. That was fun. I've spent yeah. so much money on Jurassic Park. 
it's it's a fun game. Kind of hurt my uh, carpal tunnel though. The constant like reloading. Oh yeah, because I sh- I shot a lot of bullets. <laughs> did you head into the retro games section? Because that's the one I'm really curious about. We did. We played some of them. Um, there was so we've been doing the NASCAR racing one, like mm-hmm. the like the new one, a bunch, and then we found a really 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 old fashioned race car one where it like. It's just it's it's what are those called? It's where it's, it's like, a like rotational. Piano. Yep. Yeah, it's just a rotation thing, and then there are like rumble strips if your if your car is off of its path. But then <laughs> and it was it was awesome. I I'm guessing it's from like the 50s, 60s. I don't know, but I I know nothing about video games. I bet Mikey would know, but I don't. So <laughs> yeah, no, it was really really fun. Yeah, that was that was honestly the biggest that was the biggest part. We stayed in a hotel that was a it was converted from a I don't know what it's called, a, like a train wellness center, <laughs> like <laughs> where they go to fix trains. A train wellness center? And, like a repair so it was facility? Like this, what? You mean like a repair facility? Yeah. Okay. wellness center where they make trains <laughs> well again but yeah it was this this huge huge building and then inside the building they built another building that's pretty cool yeah so that was really cool and it was like five minutes away from can can wonderland and it was best western plus and so i don't know i got some points it nice. was it was cool i don't know that's my story <laughs> well not to rush into this but it is episode 69, and I am have been waiting. So I, I know. think we should get a word from our sponsor so that I can tell you what I got. Well, let's crack into it. All right, so you know what beers I love. Mm-hmm. And I know what beers you love. Mm-hmm. But sometimes this presents us with a problem. What's that? We don't love the same beers. And <laughs> we don't. What does that mean for us when it's time to like head to the beach or relax in my backyard hot tub? Where does this leave us, Brittany? Well, luckily for us, Earthrider has an answer. Ooh, tell me more. The Earthrider Summer Mix Pack is now available. This 12-pack includes the Precious Material Hellas Lager, the Blueberry Honey Cream Ale, Tap Shack Caribbean Style Lager, and the Royal Bohemian Pilsner. For when you're in a group of picky beer drinkers who can't agree on what they want to buy for the evening. (laughs) You know what? That sounds amazing. Not just because it's a variety, but Mm -hmm. also because those are all of my favorite Earthrider beers. They really are. It's a win-win situation. And all four of those beers, along with, you know, all Earthrider beers, are made with Lake Superior water and perfect ingredients. You got that right. To pick up your Earthrider Summer Mix Pack, stop on down to the Cedar Lounge, the Earthrider's Tap Room in Superior, Wisconsin, or use their beer finder on their website, (laughs) earthrider.beer. And we're back. So this week, as I continue to say, is a magical number. (laughs) It's number 69. So for this Uh week, I had to find something truly sexy to match this number. And I think I found something. I'm so curious. 
I'm so ex- I'm excited and scared at the same time. <laughs> I don't I do not know what you're going to bring me, but let's let's hear it. I'm ready. So I'm ready. not so much sexy, but interesting and funny depending on your view of it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about spectrophilia. This is having sex with ghosts? Spectrophilia has two definitions. Okay. One is the attraction between humans and ghosts. And the second is the attraction between humans and objects seen in the mirror. So like a narcissist kind of like your own reflection kind of thing. Interesting. We're going to focus on the first definition today. I'm also going to focus on accounts that were described as pleasurable and or consensual. Ah, yeah, not not some of the stories we've we've heard. Yeah, there are descriptions of assault by ghosts, but we're we're not focusing on those today because it I want to keep it lighthearted. This is episode 69. It has to be lighthearted. For as long as humans have been conscious of a spiritual realm, Humans have dreamed, fantasized, and some claim experienced doing it with ghosts. (laughs) Medieval ghost legends have told the tale of succubus and incubus, demons who would invade human bodies and have sex with them. It's a long-standing cross-cultural phenomena and one that probably isn't going away anytime soon. Most people experience ghost sex as a dream or as if they've fallen in or out of sleep. Scientists estimate that it's because our brains are especially susceptible to hallucinations at those times, and spiritualists have just said that it's because we're more open at those times. <laughs> open. No, I, I was waiting for you to make some sort of additional comment after that. So let's get right into it with one of the best-known stories. On October 31st, 2018, there was a very intriguing article in People magazine by Jason Dwayne Hahn titled, Woman says she's engaged to a ghost. There was no getting down on one knee. He doesn't have knees. Just because he's a ghost doesn't mean he doesn't have knees. What is he, Casper? (laughs) This article tells the story of Amethyst Realm, a woman from England who, quote, isn't worried about being ghosted by men in real life. Why? Because the woman claims to have fallen in love with a specter she met sky high, unquote. Is this entire article just full of ghost puns? (laughs) There's a lot of them. (laughs) Amethyst told several news sources that she has had 20 paranormal partners in her lifetime, but it wasn't until she was on a plane to Australia on a business trip in 2018 that she met her lover, who does not have a name. She claimed she had not had a phantom fling for a while and wasn't looking for a new relationship. It was a business trip. But while in Australia on a hike, she felt this incredible energy and knew that her new lover had arrived. When it was time to go back to England, she was worried that the spirit would have to stay back because, you know, ghosts do that. They get stuck in one place. Yeah. But she claims she boarded the plane and she could feel the spirit's presence and knew that he was coming with her. (laughs) If y'all could see Kayla's face. (laughs) Amethyst said, I was so happy and excited. So excited that we had to do something about it. So we headed to the Plain Lou and well, I am now a member of the Mile High Club. 
Okay. Later in the interview, okay. when asked how she could tell, she said she could feel the ghost move in her. Oh, okay. And this was not just a fling. She called the spirit her soulmate. And because she comes from a rather open group of family and friends, they had been supportive. She says that they were just happy. She'd found love and they, if they do have anything negative to say about it, they haven't said it to her. I'm guessing they're doing some talking behind, you know, not to her. (laughs) And while they might have banged it out on the plane, that doesn't mean they communicated with words. Apparently, Amethyst didn't hear his voice until later in the year, about nine months later, when they were going on a hike to England's Wookiee Hole Caves, where she said she asked her to marry him. So no conversation, just sex. Just sex. And then nine months later... A marriage proposal. Yep. And she said his voice was beautiful, deep, sexy, and real. Why didn't he use that earlier? Sadly, their love was not eternal. As the New York Post reported on October 14th of 2020, the relationship ended because her ghostly fiancé kept, well, ghosting her. That is no... At the beginning of the article, it specifically said that they wouldn't ghost her. But this is a second article reported uh, later. Aw. Doomed. Doomed from the start. <laughs> doomed from the start. <laughs> she declared that they'd called off the wedding after the couple took a trip to Thailand. Apparently that trip was when things started to go downhill. She claims that her fiancé kept disappearing and partying too much. And she said, I think maybe he fell in with a bad crowd when we were on holiday. He just started becoming really inconsiderate. And then pointed out that he would disappear for long periods of time. And when he would return to her home, he would bring other spirits to the home with him and they'd stay for days. Oh, shit. What a scumbag. Right? And Amethyst Rome is not the first person to make a claim of making love to ghosts. Amanda Teague of Northern Ireland, who is a Jack Sparrow impersonator, apparently, said that she was visited by the 300-year-old ghost of a Haitian man while lying in bed in 2014. Amanda said that they communicated via mediumship, where she learned that his name was Jack. He was an 18th century pirate who had been left at the altar once before his death. He died via execution for thievery. She said that they communicated for about six months and she could tell she was starting to develop feelings for the spirit. It was almost like falling for someone forbidden, like a friend's husband, Teague said. I tried to ignore it, but it didn't go away. Soon, Teague incorporated Jack into her everyday life. She would watch television with him or they'd go on long drives. And through all of this, her feelings began to grow deeper and deeper, and she claimed she felt a connection to the spirit that was unlike anything she ever felt in the spiritual world. And though she has never seen Jack, she likes to imagine that he resembles Bob Marley, because that's apparently what the spirit told her. Eventually, Teague says the two even started having a sexual relationship, but she wanted more. When is this guy from? 300 years ago. 300 years. He's an 18th okay, so century she pirate. is a Jack Sparrow impersonator. She mm-hmm. happened to fall in love with a Haitian pirate named Jack. Yep. Who looks like Bob Marley. Because he knew what Bob Marley looked like, so he's like, dude, I'm totally Well, I mean, like they had lots of conversations at that point. They watched TV. They went on drives. I, Bob Marley might have come up. 
They could have had a whole last conversation about what he looks like, and then she could just have started describing people. That's, I mean, maybe. Yeah. Teague said, growing up in Ireland in my era, you were taught that if a man bedded you, he should wed you. I knew from my research that spiritual marriage was a thing, so it was more me wanting to get married than him. He would have been happy, like most men, with just sex. Jack and Amanda were wed in a private ceremony on a boat in the international waters off of Ireland, where the marriage would be legal, with Teague's close friends and family in attendance. She also hired a medium so that Jack could say, I do, making the union official on paper. And since Jack obviously couldn't wear a ring, Teague held a candle that the ring was placed on, which symbolized Jack. Since the ceremony, Teague claims she has written married on documents and has not been questioned about their authenticity. Teague's story has been picked up by dozens of media outlets in the United Kingdom and beyond, and the response hasn't always been positive. The reaction I got is quite shocking, really, she says. Apparently, we are not yet open-minded enough in society to accept relationships between us and other realms. I just think it'd be really complicated. Like, how do you explain that to your family? It's like Romeo and Juliet. The Capulets and the ghosts. <laughs> well, like Romeo and Juliet, just wishing their love could be accepted, she hopes that her story will encourage others in similar situations to feel comfortable coming forward now. She says that it's not at all like the entities in other horror films. There are loving and caring spirits out there, too. You just need to know what you're doing. I'm going to go out on a limb here. And I'm going to say that the issue that people have with it is not because they're thinking of a ghost in a horror movie. <laughs> I'm just I'm just going to say. Last I've read, unlike Amethyst and Unnamed Ghost, Jack and uh, Amanda are still going strong. Interesting. Good. Good for them. You know, it's hard to find a person who's who's good. Oh, yeah. And your soulmate. Yeah. In the most... Well, maybe the problem is that everybody's restricting themselves to the living. What have I been thinking? 35 (laughs) years, wasting my time. Just kidding, I found Steve. But before that. (laughs) Not everyone is the marrying type, though. And you don't have to be. There are plenty of stories of those out there having more casual relationships with spirits from other realms. Amethyst, like I had said earlier, claims to have had sexual encounters with over 20 ghosts in her lifetime not just Mm -hmm. her ex-fiance. And she said an out-of-this-world relationship is what ended her engagement to her childhood sweetheart and put her off living men altogether. Oh, wow. Once you go ghost, you... Once you go ghost, Mm -hmm. it's what you want the most. Ah, there you go, there you go. You already figured that out, though, didn't you? No, I just came up with that now, but I'm writing it down. Amethyst's first time was with a ghost around 2005 or so. She was living with her boyfriend who traveled a lot for his job. She was lonely and kept noticing that items kept disappearing and reappearing in her guest room. Mm -hmm. About six months later, while her boyfriend was away again, she saw a heart drawn in the condensation on the window in the guest room. And while she looked at it, she felt someone come up behind her, put their hands on her hips, and breathe on her neck. She wasn't scared, though. She said it felt lovely. After a few weeks, she decided to up the ante and uh, put on some sexy lingerie and laid in the guest room. Okay. After about an hour of uh, starting to feel ridiculous, she was going to drift off to sleep when she felt a pressure all over her body as if a person was laying on top of her. 
but lighter and softer than a human. She said the experience was different than having sex with a man, and afterwards she slept better than she had done in years, and she knew it wasn't a dream. She also pointed out that she didn't feel guilty about cheating because the whole thing felt so natural. I was going to ask about the cheating thing because if she equates the love that she feels with spirits as the same as like the love that you feel with a living person, how is that not cheating? Because it felt so natural, which is like an excuse that fuckboys say, but whatever. Exactly. That's what I'm thinking. Amethyst is just a ghost fuckboy. She began having sex with a ghost two or three times a day, but it began to cause a rift in her relationship with her real-life partner. Oh, gee, you she said. <laughs> she said one day he'd seen the shadow of a man through the curtains when he got home and came in thinking he was going to find her with some rando dude. He was circling the room looking for another man, so Amethyst felt like she had to tell him the truth. Afterwards, he ran out of the house looking pale and shocked, and obviously their relationship was over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amethyst said that her relationship with that ghost lasted for three years before petering out. And she did note that night that she got caught cheating with the ghost, she was a little jealous that her ghost lover had decided to, like, reveal his form even through, like, shadows in the window to her partner. But not to her? Yeah, apparently. Girl, your priorities are different than mine like i don't want to yuck anyone's yum but all right okay (laughs) okay when asked about the amount of ghosts she's banged amethyst apparently feels and seems more embarrassed about her takedown list than the fact that they're you know dead i'm having a really hard time trying to find something to say I mean, she doesn't have to worry about STIs. That's great. You know, (laughs) I think I think she doesn't have to. I guess I don't know. In a 2015 article for the Daily Mail, 25 year old Cian Jameson. I think that's how you pronounce it. S-I-A-N. Cian Jameson from North London described her first night of passion with her spectral lover. She said, He knew instinctively what I wanted, and I didn't have to say or do anything. He was very handsome, with beautiful hazel eyes, and as we made love, he stroked my body tenderly, and I could feel the weight of him pressing down on me. His body felt incredibly light. The whole encounter lasted an hour, and afterwards he whispered, That was the most amazing thing I have ever experienced. As we drifted off to sleep in one another's arms, a voice in my head kept asking, Is this really happening? Jameson said her ghost was named Robert. He was an apparition of an artist who had died more than 100 years ago. And she said that she told some people about it, and they definitely didn't believe her. Mm -hmm. She also says her family doesn't know anything about it, but then what woman feels comfortable discussing her love life with her parents anyway? Yeah. No, it'd be weird if she was like, Mom, Dad, let me tell you about Robert. He's an artist. But I'm guessing they know about it now that it was published in the Daily Mail. Yeah. (laughs) She said that Robert began visiting her not long after she moved into a cottage in a remote part of Wales after she had split from her boyfriend. But she insists that the experience was not made up or some illusion out of loneliness. She said that scientists may explain it away, but she would just say that they hadn't experienced what she'd experienced. A couple of days after their first encounter, Robert came back to her and said it would be their last night together. Jameson never asked why. She cried when she woke up, and Robert was no longer there. 
she thought she may have been falling in love with him. She also said she has had one other ghost lover after that, but now she is in a relationship with a living man, and she said he knows about it, and he thinks it was just a dream and finds it funny, but she recalls her fling with Robert very fondly. I wonder if that, like, causes pause in anyone's relationship when your partner's like, I fucked a ghost. I fell in love with a ghost. We had sex in a cottage. It was the most beautiful thing ever. It happened twice, but I loved him. And then he went away. Like, what do you say to that? So what would cause more pause for you? I fell in love with a ghost or I fucked a ghost? Because they are not mutually exclusive. They are not, and I honestly don't know. (laughs) It's not just regular everyday people saying they had sex with ghosts. There's many tales of celebrities that have had sex with ghosts. I was really curious as to where this regular people conversation was going to go. Because Amethyst didn't seem like she was super regular. (laughs) Pop star Kesha was on an interview with Ryan Seacrest on KISS FM about the inspiration behind her song, Supernatural, where she said, it's about experiences with the supernatural, but in a sexy way. I had a couple of experiences with the supernatural. I don't know his name. He was a ghost. I'm very open to it. Good for you, Kesha. She's been through a lot, though, so, you know. And she is not the only celebrity to make this claim. In 1999... Lucy Liu told U.S. Weekly that she had a sexual encounter with a ghost while trying to nap on her futon. Quote, Some sort of spirit came down from God knows where and made love to me. It was sheer bliss. I felt everything. I climaxed. And then he floated away. It was almost like what might have happened to Mary. That's how it felt. Something came down and touched me, and now it watches over me. Unquote. So... They are talking, especially Lucy Lou. We'll just focus on her. She's talking about it being a very consensual situation. Mm-hmm. However, the way that it happened, I would not consider a consensual situation. Like there was no. Which is why I just. I am focusing on the pleasurable ones because there are ones out there that are not. Yeah. But oh. again, we're keeping it lighthearted. And uh-huh. if you go with what Jameson said. They didn't have to say words, and he just knew what she wanted. So maybe they know that they will find this pleasurable? In 2004, Anna Nicole Smith told the magazine FHM that she repeatedly hooked up with a ghost. She said, A ghost would crawl up my leg and have sex with me at an apartment a long time ago in Texas. I used to think that it was my boyfriend, and then one day I woke up, and it wasn't. It was like a spirit, and I... Woo! She said when that point she was like miming a ghost flying up from her bedsheets. She said, I was freaked out about it, but then I was like, well, you know what? He's never hurt me and he just gave me some amazing sex, so I have no problem. And after the interviewer wondered if it could have just been a dream, Smith insisted that it was not a dream because it was happening every night. And she told her boyfriend about it and he didn't believe her because, of course, men. Her words. Of course, men. Sounds like there are a lot more instances of this happening than I would have imagined. In April of 2014, actress Natasha Blasick, who was from the Paranormal Activity series, appeared on a British talk show called This Morning, describing two separate sexual encounters with a ghost. She told host Philip Schofield, I could feel the weight of a body on top of me, and I couldn't see anybody, but I could feel the energy. I could feel the warmth. 
And at first I was very confused with all that, but then I decided to just relax and um, it was really, really pleasurable and I really enjoyed it. Blasik also noted adding that as a child, she always wanted to know if there was something more to the world and this experience definitely answered some questions for her. Understandably, Schofield had a lot of questions like, when it was over, I mean, did the ghost say thank you, or, um, did he just leave? <laughs> and Blasek said he just left, but he came back in about a month, and it was about the same as the first encounter. So Schofield was like, so it was like, full-on ghostly sex? And Blasek nodded, adding, like, this is full-on penetrative sex by a ghost? Like, basically... The interviewer just keeps going like, no, but it was real sex. And Blasek was being like, yeah, it was it was sex. Which also, by the way, I feel like well, Schofield's getting hung up. sex. Yeah, yeah, he's getting hung up on the wrong questions here. Like, penetration is not the only way to have sex. Right. But that's what he was stuck on. Because men. Dan Aykroyd is also very open about his belief in life after death. Well, I saw that. I saw this part on Ghostbusters. Well, that's what I was going to say. His admittance, though, was a lot tamer than what his experience was in Ghostbusters, like what his character experienced. Like, oh. this is real life Dan Aykroyd, not his character. Yeah. In a 2010 blog post for the Huffington Post, Aykroyd coyly admitted that he had felt an unseen presence in my bed, no less, when we lived in Mama Cass's Hollywood estate. And in a 2013 interview with Esquire, he reported cuddling with a male ghost in his bed and thinking, I'm just going to roll over and snuggle up next to it. Why is it only male ghosts that seem to be doing these these afterlife sexual frolics? I don't know. Because men. Theme of the, uh, the story. Because men. <laughs> okay. Okay. If this is something you're interested in, you don't have to just luck into it. For a price, you can purchase Sexual Alchemy, Magical Intercourse with Spirits by Donald Tyson. It is available on Amazon for the low, low price of $694.69. I'm sorry, $694.69? I don't know if it's out of publication now, so they're selling like used copies and stuff like that, because a lot of the articles that linked me to this book originally listed it in the like 100 to 200 dollar range and now it's Still. 694 it has an overall rating of four to five stars although some of the reviews comments are very mixed most of the reviews are honestly five and four star reviews okay but also they spent 649 dollars and 69 cents on a book up to how to have sex with ghosts but some of them bought it in the past when it wasn't that expensive but nobody said fucking ghosts was cheap. You, you'd think that it would be cheaper. <laughs> like, you'd be like, I don't have to buy any drinks. I don't have to offer any entertainment on a date. A five-star review in 2016 said, This is a great book. And if you're dedicated and willing to put in the time and learn and practice everything, you'll get results. Just don't expect to pick it up and have a spirit lover overnight or within days for that matter. It doesn't work like that in most cases. Things like this take time, but if you stick to it, you'll see the results you want from it. Do you know if any of them are calling forth, like, female spirits? Some of them were. Okay. A four-star review marked 
with a verified purchase said, I applaud Mr. Tyson's scholarship. It is impeccable. He covers a wide-ranging topic of occult sexuality through various cultures and religious traditions and in a concise and readable manner. Not an easy thing to do. I like that the book is separated into two parts. Part one is mainly theory and is a full, complete work unto itself. If the reader feels ready for practical application, then they can explore the second part of the book. One of the first things taught in magic is that if you summon an entity, you'd better know how to test it to make sure of its true identity and attributes, and you'd better know how to properly separate yourself or banish it. Good intentions are not enough. I found this important info lacking in the book. I do wish Tyson had included more information regarding lesser emanations. I do recommend the book, but only for those who are experienced in magic. And a quick and glowing five-star review from 2019 said, Look forward to sex with spirits. Need a closer relationship than humans anyway, LOL. (laughs) On the opposite end of the spectrum, a one-star review titled, A Guaranteed Recipe for Pain, states, What? I hope it's emotional. Sexual alchemy is practiced in esoteric Christianity. Sexual magic is practiced in Zen Buddhism. Sexual magic is practiced amongst the initiated yogi. Sexual magic is practiced amongst the Mohammedan Sufis. Sexual magic was practiced by the mysterious Maya, Aztec, Inca, Druids, etc. However, there are two forms of sexual alchemy, black and white. The white alchemist never wastes the sexual energy through the orgasm. The black alchemist always wastes the sexual energy through the orgasm. The white alchemist seeks to redeem his soul from suffering by reducing the animalistic ego to dust. The black alchemist seeks to satisfy all his desires by strengthening his pride, lust, power, etc. The white alchemist becomes an angel. The black alchemist becomes a demon. Do not be deceived by this book. It is a teaching of black magic. And another one-star review, which you'll see why I picked this one specifically in a minute, was titled... Caveat emptor, magus emptor, buyer and wizard beware. And it said, I would like to warn all those who read this infamous book to be very careful what you're getting into. I tried the magic contained in it, and it works. In fact, since I was a virgin and got desperate, I put the rituals to the test with disastrous results. Even though I effectively lost my cherry there was a horrible price to pay. I wound up homeless, and everyone I knew turned against me. Even though, by the grace of God, I survived to tell the tale, quoting James Marsters as Spike, the vampire, in Season 6 Buffy episode, Bargaining Part 2, in the relevant part states, the problem with magic is that there's always consequences. Always. That is a correct quote. There's always consequences. Always. Even some holy texts, like the Bible, make such warnings clear, and I learned a terrible lesson. There are some forces that are best left alone, and I won't ever do those rituals again. Also, I broke up with my girlfriend, and I had to leave the city where this ritual was done. The kind of magic in this book is extremely dangerous. I even got rid of the copy I had. For the price I paid to get laid, I got more than I actually bargained for. And for that, I would rather be without a girlfriend than extremely suffer for a fleeting thrill. It ain't worth it at all. With three exclamation marks. My mind is completely blown. I don't even know. Seventeen percent of the reviews were one star, but a lot of the other one star reviews were from people who downloaded the PDF version and just said the scanned copies cut off. So there's that too. Okay, so don't bother with the PDF version. It's not worth the price. We know that. 
be wary of the at any price you pay for it because magic has consequences. Totally makes sense. I knew that. <laughs> um, I'm a little confused by the review before this one. Like that is a that was a huge long description to say. I think this book is evil. Okay, cool. Um, I also. What is this last dude? Some sort of incel who just really wanted to get laid. So he had, he bought a really expensive book. He had sex with a ghost. And then he blames that on everything that went wrong in his life. I'm assuming it's a dude. I guess I shouldn't necessarily assume that. That's what I would assume too. But. Yeah. Okay. In the 2018 Cracked article written by Lydia Bug. She took off on her own adventure to fuck a ghost. She said, Since I wanted to summon a sex ghost on a budget, this was after she had also linked me to the book. Yep, and was like, this is this is too pricey for me. Exactly. She decided to scour the internet for a frugal solution to her problem. Luckily, she found summoningsuccubus.com. Well, that's handy. This site offers seven free lessons on summoning a succubus slash incubus. Glowing user testimonials praise both the site and its owner, Eric Von Roth. She said, quote, At first, I thought all this succubus business was total BS. Eric proved me wrong, and I have to thank him for it, was one of the, what one of the reviews said. And another reviewer said, Working with Eric has been both life-changing and fun. Finding a spiritual connection with my incubus, Sam, means the world to me. Aww. An incubus named Sam? Yeah. It's really sweet if you think about it and then stop thinking about it immediately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Lesson one asks you to fill out a questionnaire called, Are You Sexual Spirit Material? And it digs in deep and gets to the core of your desire to have sex with a ghost with questions like, what type of sexual spirit do you wish to summon? And for what purpose do you wish to summon a sexual spirit? In which one of the answer options is to, like, just be friends. Why wouldn't you summon a normal spirit then? That seems kind of like a, a little bit of a tease. Right? At this point, the questions got even more in-depth and Bug gave up and was like, no, no, too much paperwork. On to the next option. So, so she didn't go through with uh, summoning su summon succubus. Yeah, summoning succubus.com. Okay. So if you're not going to buy the $700 book and you're not going to take these free lessons because it's too much work, what's your next option? Well, golly, Kayla, I just don't know. It's obviously buying a spectral fuck buddy on eBay. Duh, you can get everything on the internet. Yeah, that's a thing. You can get yourself a pre-summoned sex ghost. Just type in Succubus Summon on eBay and wade through a sea of Yu-Gi-Oh cards <laughs> until you eventually find one. eBay's variety of sex ghost listings even list the ghost's turn-ons and turn-offs sometimes. For example... I mean, that makes sense. Hecate... they would have those. <laughs> you gotta be compatible. For example... Hecate Moondrake Vampire Succubus likes green candles, mugwort, anise, and simmeral herbal offerings. And those are recommended to ignite her fireworks. Wow. According to Bug, the amazing thing about the succubi sold on eBay is how positive their seller's ratings are. 
At the time of the 2018 article, the seller of the Hecate Moondrake Vampire Succubus and the Inseparable Succubus Twins have 100% positive feedback from 951 ratings. Okay, so this also brings up the moral gray The consent of the of... ghosts. Yes, it sounds like a pimp. But Incubus and Succubus, like Incubi and Succubi, their whole thing is that they're sex ghosts. But they get to choose. Glowing reviews include, This little lady has kept me very busy. She likes me just fine, smiley face. Ew. And repeat customer, very, very highly recommend top seller. More like this eBay, please. AAA+. And amazing, hurt his hooves right after I cut the tie. Loves to tell jokes. And that last reviewer is from a uh, buyer who purchased something called a pendant of sensual male fawn. Okay. I think many people might assume this is just a made-up idea. There are a lot of pop culture references to sex with spirits. There is, of course, the Swayze, the 1990 uh, movie Ghost, Ghost. Mm -hmm. as well as the 1982 film The Entity. There's the whole ghost blowjob thing that we discussed from Ghostbusters. And there's even an episode in season seven of Star Trek The Next Generation that has some uh, spiritual sex. I haven't, I don't recall it. It came up in my That's searches. That's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Star Trek The Next Generation? Okay. I don't recall it, and now I have to seek it out, but I assume it's Riker. It's always Riker when it comes to being fucked. It's always Riker. And I assume you're going to tell us all about it after you watch it. Oh, I'm going to have to. Yeah. Scientists are obviously quick to explain it away as dreams or hallucinations or sleep paralysis, but Steve Parsons, author of Ghostology, The Art of the Ghost Hunter, who is skeptical, like, his stuff is not all pure ghostly. Mm-hmm. He says that you'd have to be a fool to say that ghosts definitely exist, but you'd also have to be a fool to say they 100% don't. He's been investigating the paranormal for over 35 years, and reports of sex with ghosts seems to be on the increase. So I, I had to wait. That is, I don't know. More maybe people are more people open are about more it. More interested in talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to wade through a lot of sources, but once I got through all of the Cosmo and Relationship Blog articles titled things like, Why Do Men Ghost Women? So oh, a lot of those right. articles. Ugh. This whole thing seems to only scratch the surface of what I could have found if I dug deeper. But honestly, I was a little worried about what sort of suggested sites and ads were going to pop up for me after doing this research, and I was already at seven pages so i kind of just stopped there i think for both you and sean who also used your computer you made <laughs> a good decision luckily i remember to switch over to my personal google account and not do it on the left of skeptic account so Brittany, your eyes should be spared <laughs> but oh, i probably should definitely on some sort of browser. list now <laughs> you're definitely on some sort of list <laughs> So, <laughs> in conclusion, <laughs> episode number 69, Kayla's story, Spectrophilia, Amethyst Realm, Amanda Teague, and ghost fucking. Thank you. That's a mic drop if I ever, if I ever heard one on this podcast. So, Brittany. Wow. Brittany. <laughs> oh. 
Wow. <laughs> on a skeptic scale, on a skeptic scale of one to five, para, para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what do you give ghost fucking? Kayla, there are so many layers. <laughs> I I fully agree that obviously, like, you'd be an idiot to say that ghosts don't exist. If they do exist, maybe. <laughs> I also I also think that it's interesting that so many different cultures across the world have, like, an explanation for this. Honestly, it seems like a lot of Western culture specifically doesn't. Mm-hmm. But we're new. We're just little babies in, in time. So, oofta. I, I'm torn because, okay, I think it can happen. However, I want to say that a lot of the people who describe these, the amethysts, I'm looking at you, girl, um, <laughs> you, you seem a bit off. And so her story doesn't seem very believable because she just doesn't seem like a super believable person or is the reason why she's able to have these multiple like 20 relationships with ghosts is because she is like that like at what point in time is like the amethyst of it all uh, the reason why she's able to have these versus assuming that you can't believe her because she is the way she is okay yeah yeah uh I'm going to give it a 4.5. I don't know. I don't know what to give it. I'm going to give it a 4.52. There's just yeah. too many stories. And I like the uh, fact that it's so, it's, so it's such a wide net. Yeah. I also think it's really telling that so many celebrity women have admitted to it, which they straight up. You're not going to you're not just going to admit to stuff like that. Like as a celebrity and a woman, you are already put in a place where people are just going to bash you down. And so when you say stuff like that and you don't think that it really happened, I just don't think that very many like I could see Angelina Jolie doing that because <laughs> she's she's a bit odd. But I Lucy Lou, come on. Dan Aykroyd. Dan Ak- well, I mean, that kind of goes with his Ghostbusters No, vibe. it doesn't, though. The, the, the articles were so, so long after Ghostbusters. And he didn't say, like, a ghost gave him a BJ. He was like, no, I just cuddled with it. Is he the Ghostbuster that went on to, like, do paranormal stuff? He's done some. He also owns the vodka in the skull bottles. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh yeah well no yeah four four point five that's what I'm that's what I'm gonna give it it's a it was a really good topic I told like, you I, knew I was that's what ready. you were gonna do but I I didn't know what you were gonna do like <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know what I was gonna do do get it because do it Kayla's just always doing it whoo <laughs> well I talked y'all's ears off. I think we should uh, get one more word from our sponsor so we can hear what Brittany has this week. Mine is going to be such a letdown after that. <laughs> like, I don't even know. I don't even know. I... Okay. Crack, crack into it. <laughs> there are tons of cool summer events happening at the Earthrider Festival Grounds this year. But I think there's one we've really got to let the people know about. Which one is that? July 7th. 
the Eric Koskinen with Dead Man Winter and Glitterati Show. Oh, hell yeah. That's going to be one heck of a great night. Fresh Earth Rider beer, mm-hmm. the Rambler food truck. Oh, my God. And three big bands. It's going to be a beautiful night of live music with some of the best Twin Ports artists. And I know they're really amping up the fact that it's a night of side projects. But is it really even fair to call them side projects when they're featuring members of Trample by Turtles? I know what you mean. This is a night you're not going to want to miss. And you can get tickets in advance for only $25. They'll be $30 at the door. And if you really want to make sure you've got a seat because this show is going to be packed you can reserve a table for four for only $140. This show is on July 7th at 6.30 at the Earthrider Festival Grounds. To purchase your tickets in advance via Eventbrite, visit earthrider.beer and click the Events tab. And to keep up to date on all of the amazing upcoming shows at the Earthrider Festival Grounds, be sure to follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at EarthriderBeer. And we're back. Yes, we are. Uh, again, I don't. <laughs> I'm gonna do my best. There's no way I'm gonna talk ghost sex, but I I didn't even put that into consideration when picking my topic for episode 69 because I knew you'd you'd be all about it. You're damn right. So tonight I'm gonna tell you about the Gene Harlow House in Los Angeles, California. Alrighty. Do you know who Gene Harlow is? I do not. Let me tell you a little bit about Jean Harlow. Let's hear it. All right. So Jean Harlow was born Harleen Harlow Carpenter in Kansas City, Missouri on March 3rd, 1911. Her father, Montclair Carpenter, was a dentist and her mother, Jean Poe Carpenter, was the daughter of a wealthy real estate broker named Skip Harlow and his wife, Ella Harlow. Harleen's parents' marriage was an arranged marriage uh, by her grandfather, Skip. Why he was so interested in marrying his daughter off to a dentist, I have no idea. Not really sure the appeal, especially since her mother was 14 years younger than her father and underage at the time of the wedding. Oh. And although the marriage was not a happy one, they stayed living together in their Kansas City home, which was owned by her father, Skip. Okay. I'm I'm sensing a little bit of a patriarchal power issue going on yeah. in this situation. Yeah. And I don't like it. It's not good. I'm not loving the underage, unhappy marriage. To a dentist. <laughs> what? Like, sh- <laughs> Look, I'm not saying I have anything against dentists. I'm just saying that she was, she was the daughter of a wealthy real estate broker. So she already came from a well-off family. I don't think that the dentist was going to like improve her financial situation that much. But I don't know. I guess it was, you know the 18 or 1900s so <laughs> yeah who knows anyways along came Harleen in March of 1911 and it sounds like her mother was really protective of her as a child she was often referred to as the baby mm-hmm. in fact according to Wikipedia she was called this so consistently that it wasn't until she was five years old that she actually learned that her name was Harleen she thought her name until she was five was the baby you keep saying Harleen, and all I can think of is Harleen Quinzel from Batman. Harley Quinn. I mean, maybe that's that. I mean, maybe this is where she, the name came from. It's very possible. This is the first time I've ever heard of that as like a name outside of Batman. And she ends up being pretty famous. Okay. Okay. Which you'll, you'll hear about. 
On September 29, 1922, 11-year-old parents' divorce was officially finalized and full custody was given to her mother, Jean. And Harleen didn't really see much of her father after that. I guess the article said something like, well, she loved him, mm-hmm. but she never saw him again. Oh, no. Oh, no. In 1923, June moved herself and Harleen to Hollywood in search of stardom. However, at 32, she was told that she was too old to start a film career. Well, that's sad. What's that mean for us? I don't know, man. I'm turning 36 in just a couple of months. <laughs> I'm too old to start a film career, apparently. Oh, no. Oh, no. Whatever shall I do with my life in Duluth, Minnesota, not being an actress? They stayed in Hollywood for a couple of years until their finances dwindled, and Jean's father said that he would no longer help them out unless they moved back to Kansas City. So they did. Though not long after, the two moved to Illinois, and this is where Harleen met 19-year-old Charles Chuck Fairmont McGrew III, the heir to a large fortune. Because who named Charles Fairmont McGrew III wouldn't be the heir to a large fortune? Definitely sounds like the villain in a Scooby-Doo episode. (laughs) I would have gotten away with it, too, if it wasn't for those meddling kids and their dog. (laughs) I don't know why I turned British there. Anyway, Harleen and Chuck started dating, and in 1927, they married. By this time, Harleen and Jean were on the outs, and when Jean got remarried to her boyfriend, Marino Bello, that same year, Harleen did not attend her mother's wedding. Two months after their own wedding... Chuck turned 21, received his inheritance, and he and Harleen moved from Chicago to Los Angeles. Settling in a home in Beverly Hills, Harleen, quote, thrived as a wealthy socialite. Neither she nor Chuck worked during this time, and they were said to have become quite heavy drinkers. Nothing else to do. Not long after they arrived, Jean followed Harleen and her new husband to Hollywood, which possibly didn't help with how much they had already been drinking. Um, And around this time, Harleen had befriended a young actress named Rosalie Roy. Not having a car of her own, Harleen would drive Rosalie to auditions, and it was during one of these auditions that Harleen herself was discovered. But she told them she wasn't interested. She was, after all, already a rich socialite. Yes, a Paris Hilton. But after a bet from Rosalie and some pretty intense pressure from her mother, Jean... So glad she moved to Hollywood with (laughs) Harleen and her husband. Uh, Harleen finally agreed to go to an audition. And she got the part. She actually got a couple of parts. Over the next year, she went from her first role as an uncredited extra for $7 in a box lunch a day to a five-year, $100 per week contract with Hal Roach Studios under the name Jean Harlow. Okay. However, just three months after signing with Hal Roach Studios, she tore up her contract, saying that it was destroying her marriage. Ooh. Then, four months later, in June of 1929, Harleen and Chuck separated, and she moved in with her mother and her mother's husband, Marino. Sounds terrible. The divorce was finalized not long after. She was correct. It did destroy her marriage. Yeah. Later that same year, which was obviously a very big year for Harleen, She was cast in Howard Hughes' movie, Hell's Angels, during which she met MGM executive Paul Byrne. Hell's Angels premiered in Hollywood at Grauman's Chinese Theater on May 27, 1930, and it became the highest-grossing film of that year. And Harleen, now known as Jean Harlow, became an international superstar. 
Although I will say people loved her. Critics did not like her. They basically said that she was just super untalented and they said a lot of really mean things about her. But the people loved her, so what can you do? Eh, what do critics know anyway? Right. Between 1929 and 1932, Jean Harlow continued to make movies, sometimes as an uncredited extra, other times as the star, such as her role in Platinum Blonde, which is a feature that she soon became known for. By 1932, Harlow found herself romantically involved with that MGM executive, Paul Byrne, who tried to pull some strings to get her a contract with that studio. But MGM's leading ladies were usually presented as elegant, you know, classy. And Harlow's screen persona was not so much. She was really more of like a bad girl, like a sex symbol. Rizzo from Greece. Yeah, exactly. Or Marilyn Monroe. She looks platinum blonde hair. She's very va-va-voom, kind of. After much campaigning on Jean Harlow's 21st birthday, Paul Byrne told her that she had officially been signed to MGM Studio. So, good for her. Here, she starred in films like The Red-Headed Woman and Red Dust, opposite of Clark Gable. In an attempt to separate the actress from the character she played, MGM began putting out press releases claiming things like her childhood surname was not the common carpenter, but the chic carpentier which I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it sounds fancier, and this has a bunch of little doodles above the letters, <laughs> uh, claiming that writer Edgar Allan Poe was one of her ancestors, as well as releasing photographs of her doing charity work, trying to give her that, you know, just a average working American lady vibe. Yeah. While also claiming her last name is Carpentier. <laughs> and yes, Edgar Allan Poe makes... Another appearance in another one of my stories, which I did not plan. On July 2nd, 1932, Paul Byrne and Jean Harlow were married at their home at 1353 Club View Drive, Los Angeles, California. Though, sadly for Jean, it wasn't the happiest of marriages. As the story goes, on the second night of their honeymoon, Paul Byrne beat her so badly in the home's downstairs bathroom that he damaged her kidneys. Oof. Oof. Rumor has it that Paul Byrne might have been impotent and then took it out on Jean. Oh my god. Because fucking men. Fucking men. Yep. Yep. Still, she tried to make it work. It's the 1930s. Got married. Uh, Side note, there is a brief mention of suicide in this next section. And if this is something that you're not okay with hearing, just please skip ahead 15 to 30 seconds. Okay. They then moved into a house on Easton Drive, renting the Club View Drive home to her mother and Marino. But when their marriage inevitably fell apart, Jean Harlow moved back to the Club View Drive house, and it was there that she heard, while she was in an upstairs bedroom, the news that Paul Byrne had been killed in the house that they used to share together. Jean Harlow, blaming herself, attempted to take her own life by swallowing an overdose of sleeping medication. She was unsuccessful. This, however, caused a bit of a scandal, leading people to believe that she had been the one to shoot him. Oh. Because their butler had found him, and when he did, he called MGM Studios before calling the police. So people assumed that the studio was covering up his murder, although his death was inevitably ruled a suicide. Now we're okay. Okay. We're listening again. All right. After his death, Gene went on to make several more films opposite some pretty big names of the time, 
like Lionel Barrymore, which is Drew Barrymore's great uncle, Clark Gable again, Lee Tracy, Cary Grant. There was scandal, love affairs, loves, losses. And then in 1937, while filming the sixth and final film with Clark Gable, Gene Harlow went through a series of health scares. It started in January with influenza. In March, it was sepsis. In May, inflammation of the gallbladder, then influenza again. And then come June, her condition of gallbladder inflammation appeared to worsen. Another doctor was called in to give a second opinion, and he concluded that she was actually suffering from kidney failure. After being beat so bad, it damaged her kidneys. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yes, that is, that is the prevailing theory. Okay. On June 6, 1937, her condition worsened still, and she was taken to the Good Samaritan Hospital in Los Angeles, where she slipped into a coma. The next day, at 11.37 a.m., Harlow died in the hospital at the age of 26. Also very reminiscent to Poe. Yeah. But this is not just a story about the legendary Jean Harlow, but rather a story about her house. 1353 Clubview Drive, where she married Paul Byrne, where she heard of his death, and where she allegedly attempted to take her own life. This home is said to be haunted. I'm not sure when Jean Harlow's mother and her husband, Marino, moved out of the house and what exactly the timeline is for those who lived in the house after, but the most haunted stories of the house come from a family simply known as the H family, who moved into the house sometime in the early 1970s. The home at the time was in pretty bad shape, and although the basic structure of the house was okay, much of the inside needed replacing. And once construction started, the family began to experience a haunting. Of course, because construction stirs up hauntings. According to hauntedhouses.com, quote, On the day before the H family moved into the home, Mrs. H went upstairs. Her dogs followed her, growling and barking at something in the upstairs bedrooms. In the hallway right outside of the master bedroom, Mrs. H felt an unseen presence and heard somebody softly whisper in her ear, Please help me. Then, on their first night in the home, Mr. and Mrs. H were lying in bed sleeping when something jerked their bed three times, waking them up. An apparition resembling cigarette smoke was chased by the family dogs. The lights in the kitchen would go on and off by themselves, and people would report frequent cold spots and unexplained breezes in the living room, kitchen, and upstairs bedrooms when no windows were open. In the court of the living room, Mrs. H. and her aunt reported hearing, quote, the heavy, heartbreaking sobs of a woman, causing Mrs. H. to also feel terribly sad. And people have reported feeling uneasy in the downstairs bathroom and claim to hear a light knocking on the front door, but no one is ever there. Some reason it all sounds very uh, faint compared to a, lo- a lot of other hauntings, like light knocking, a wisp of smoke. Yeah, almost like we talk about residual hauntings being like an like an echo, something that had already happened, and you're just seeing like the replay of it. But it's almost as if it's it's not quite as strong as other other residual hauntings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The H's also experienced a warning via dream. According to hauntedhouses.com, quote, both Mr. and Mrs. H were warned in a dream of a faulty, dangerous wall light in the upstairs bathroom. Both saw a clear vision of the bathtub full of water and bubbles, and a hand from the bathtub switches on the light, receives a terrible shock, and withers. An electrician was called who was horrified to see such an outdated, dangerous light switch was in the bathroom and promptly put in a safe one, unquote. It's called shock wire, because we call it that because sometimes you're taking a shower and you 
touch it and it shocks you. Yeah. That's what Parks and Rec. You get it. Parks and Rec. The H's report hearing the sounds of light footsteps going up and down the stairs, more light noises, and the smell of a woman's perfume in the upstairs bedroom. And even one report of the sound of a party coming from inside of a closet in one of the upstairs bedrooms. Which, again, I'm thinking Ghostbusters when, you know, the thing was in her fridge. (laughs) Yeah. As a bit of a, I guess, a bonus, I would say, is something I only found in one of my sources, so take it with a grain of salt. But according to HouseBeautiful.com, quote, But wait, it gets creepier. In 1963, celebrity hairstylist Jay Sebring bought the home and lived there with his then-girlfriend, Sharon Tate, until she left him for Roman Polanski. They were still friends and remained so until both of them were murdered by the Charles Manchin cult. Tate was the same age as Harlow when she passed. But back to when the couple lived in the Harlow house, Tate told several friends of creepy occurrences in the home and even mentioned it in interviews. For example, once she said she was sleeping in the master bedroom alone, she saw a creepy little man. Her friends said she believed it to be Paul Byrne's ghost. She was so freaked out when she saw the alleged ghost that she ran out of the room and then saw a hanging shadowy corpse with its throat slit in the hallway. There are also stories of two other people dying in the swimming pool over the years. Unquote. But that's the only place I saw that. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Yeah. And that is the story of Jean Harlow and the Jean Harlow House at 1353 Clubview Drive, Los Angeles, California. (sighs) Man. Okay, I know you said you couldn't top mine. Yours was not funny like mine was. But I've, I mean, after you started talking about it, when you got to the actual house, I started remembering things because I'd read about it before. And man, that whole situation is so fucked up. Right? And the ghost, and the ghost situation freaks me out too. Like the background for why it's happening is fucked up. But then the hauntings, like I said, even though it's faint and echoey, like we talked about, it's still, it's got a creep factor that is definitely there. Yeah. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot of speculation when it comes to the hauntings of this story. Assuming that the abuse that she went through with Paul Byrne is is in fact real mm-hmm. and exactly what happened, it makes sense that a residual haunting would be happening in the house. Absolutely. That's a lot of trauma to experience, yeah. to imprint Absolutely. on a place. So I don't know if it's, I don't know, like an actual active haunting I don't think it's a poltergeist. I feel like it could just be the trauma that happened in the house replaying itself. Very true. She also lived such an interesting life for having passed away at 26. I mean, I feel I feel bad for her. I mean, she's had an she had an interesting life, but I I almost don't want to say it because her interesting for us comes at the expense trauma. of her yeah. experiences, you know. Yeah, I've definitely seen photos of her. And I think it's interesting that I did not know who she was. But some of her male counterparts and some of the the females that they compared her to in, like, the hierarchy of the MGM stars, I was like, oh, I know who these people are. But I know that Clark Gable is kind of a big deal, and she was in six films with him. Like, opposite, Mm -hmm. starring roles. Yeah. Want to see what she looks like? Yeah. Oh, I know her. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yep, that tracks. I know who that is now. On a skeptic scale, 
I'm going to give the Harlow Burn House, I'm going to give it a three and a half. The trauma is very real. It makes me think it should be happening. Right. But like you said, there's a lot of skepticism surrounding if the haunting stuff is real. Yes. Skepticism. It's also, yeah, one family from the 1970s. Exactly. It's okay. kind of like what we talked about with Amityville. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, I concur. I'll do a 3.5 as well. Well, a 4.5 and a 3.5 is not a bad way to end the episode. I No. No, at least it's not a nass. Nass. Uh, uh, hold on. A nurnass. No rating nur-nass. necessary normal ass shit. It's not a nurnass. Not a nurnass. They are both believable. Because yeah. I knew I had a longer story and I did not ask you to shorten your story this week, I did not pick a Reddit story because I, I knew we were already going to be pretty full. Yeah, that's fine. But if you listeners have a story you'd like to share with us, we would love to read it on the podcast. You can do so by sending it to our email, leftofskeptic at gmail.com, or you can go to our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the listener stories tab at the top of the page, or you can click the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you are the most comfortable with. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast and TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic. I just said that backwards. That really threw me for a loop. I know. I was I was a little thrown. Well, this has been a hilarious, sad, and technology fraught episode. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. But we want to thank you all for joining us this evening. We love you very much. You guys are awesome. Happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye. The Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc. And our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay. Bye. Oh my god. My internet's pissing me off.